Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you're having a great start to the year. I'm back to podcasting after the much-needed break. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Arjiro Kavada, who is the program manager at NASA's Earth Sciences Division for their Sustainable Development Goals Initiative, essentially focusing on how to translate Earth observation for sustainable development. It's an area I've always been fascinated about, not just for the obvious reasons, but mostly because it focuses on converting EO to real value until the last mile impact. RG is a renowned expert in the area of using EO for sustainable development, working with several organizations around the world and helping countries monitor their SDGs using EO. She was also the lead editor for a book published recently on the subject. In this episode, RG and I discuss her story, her work at NASA, the use of Earth observation for tracking the SDGs, the challenges of converting EO data into impact, whether we are exploiting the full potential of EO for policymaking, and more. And now I bring you Arjiro Kavada. Hi, Arjee. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hello, Aravind. It's fantastic to be here with you. Brilliant. Let's get started. The first question that I usually start with is, uh, is to ask guests to describe their story. So I'm going to ask the same to you. What's your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? I grew up in on a Greek island uh, in the northeast Aegean. Uh, so it's called Hios in Greece. And so as part of growing up, you know, I was very much a lot outside in nature, um, spending a lot of time during summers by the ocean. And so that really helped both um, cultivate my curiosity and also make me really want to learn more about uh, how things worked uh, in our surrounding world and really wanting um, to better understand different changes that I was seeing growing up in some of like the rainfall patterns or temperature changes and things like that. And so these Early experiences, I think, sparked a love um, that I've maintained to date for uh, both the environment, but also better leveraging our science and observations about the Earth uh, to better understand how our planet is changing and how that is affecting us here on Earth. Um, And so during my early academic years, I was inspired by a number of mentors and fantastic individuals, um, you know, people like uh, Dr. Samatis Krimizis, who is also from HIO, so a fellow uh, HIAN and and Greek uh, um, that had a renowned um, space physics uh, career here in the U.S. And so I really aspired to also get involved in in research that could really leverage uh, space uh, to, again, advance our understanding of how... um, how Earth is changing. Um, and so during my both undergraduate and graduate years, I was able to get involved in different activities that um, really also helped further um, develop my interest in uh, uh, not just learning more and applying some of this knowledge to better understand changes in our planet and climate, um, but also to really help connect some of the science and knowledge and bring it more to Uh, the general public and to society. And so I was able to get involved in different activities that were doing that uh, through uh, programs um, at museums or science centers, for example, in Maryland and in Washington, D.C. here in in the U.S. So that really, that in combination with some other uh, teaching activities, again, really uh, sparked my continuous interest and engagement for um, uh, developing a career in, in earth science and in, in the environmental field. 
Amazing. So today you are working at NASA, correct? So could you give an overview of, you know, where you are and the kind of activities that you're involved in and your unit as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I work with uh, NASA Surf Science uh, Division and uh, within that division we have different program elements. And so um, my focus has been very much on the earth science application side and really helping um, bring the earth observation data and derived insights uh, to people, government, stakeholders to advance sustainable development um, applications and so address some of um, the key challenges. And so in addition to doing this work and leading uh, sustainability initiatives, I've been also involved in a number of other areas more recently in some of um, the work that NASA is doing in the space of monitoring um, and assessing emissions and fluxes of different types of greenhouse gases. And so through this work, I've been able to really connect uh, also with a lot of the interagency and international partners that NASA has. And so it's been a fantastic experience. So a little bit, you asked me about uh, NASA Surf Science Division. So it's really, so NASA Surf Science Division really studies the Earth and leveraging, again, the vantage point of space. And so it uses unique global observations from space, but also airborne platforms and also um, platforms on land, so ground-based observations to better understand how the different components of our Earth system are changing and interact with each other. And so, for example, monitoring things like how heat is being absorbed by the ocean and then that uh, is being transported by ocean currents and, and can have an influence on different processes on land and also on our weather patterns. And then seeing also how you know, other things are interconnected and, again, understanding how um, our climate is changing. Um, and so we learn a, a great deal through these different types of observing the world and then by synthesizing these observations, combining them with other types of data and information on uh, social and economic aspects to better, again, understand how these changes are influencing life here on Earth. And so NASA currently has about 25 missions in orbit observing our planet, and there are another 11 already in formulation and development. Um, and so I know many times people, when they think of NASA, they think of Mars, they think of the moon, but um, there is this uh, very dynamic and uh, uh, brilliant uh, group of people and investments that really focus, again, on understanding how we can use our science to benefit life here on earth amazing that's uh yeah that's a lot of people like you mentioned don't know uh, what's going on and you know that's part of the efforts that we're having this conversation now to you know get the message out um i want to start with sustainable development because you know you touched on that uh when you were talking about it so and when people think about sustainable development, people talk about SDGs from the UN, the Sustainable Development Goals. Do you want to first, and I know that you have done quite a lot of work associated with uh, applying Earth observations for SDGs. Yeah. But before we get into the details, do you want to quickly give an overview of what the SDGs are and what they mean? Sure. Because there might be some who are not aware of what the SDGs are. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So... I, you know, I, I think I've really immersed myself into this world for the last several years, as you mentioned. And so starting from what the SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals are. So these are part of a global framework, a policy agenda that was adopted 
by the UN member states at the end of 2015 to really help provide a framework for countries uh, to better monitor progress and communicate on how they are doing with respect to making progress on different aspects of development, um, so economic aspects, social aspects, and environmental aspects. And so there are 17 uh, goals ranging from things like zero hunger to things that relate to fresh water and sanitation, um, sustainable cities and communities, access to clean energy, as well as things like life on land and life below water, climate action, among others. And within those goals or with those goals, there is also an associated number of targets and indicators that are meant, again, to be used as metrics for countries and the international community to better measure and manage these development uh, goals. And so... Um, the other thing that I think I want to say about the Sustainable Development Goals is that they're really meant to be an interconnected framework. And so one of the key things uh, that has also been a challenge um, is that we really need to look at them um, and really understand the feedback mechanisms that exist over space and time uh, among these uh, uh, goals. So it's important that we don't look at them in silos, right? And um, that's important for both helping countries prioritize um, interventions and, and resource allocation or management efforts, and also for contextualizing these global, really, SDGs to more localized uh, national and, and more local contexts. And so one of the things that we've been doing is really looking at how data, and in particular geospatial data, including Earth observations, uh, can play a big role in supporting the uh, monitoring and implementation of the SDGs. Yeah, so that, that's, that was where I was going to come to. So obviously, Earth observation data has a big role to play in, like you mentioned, monitoring and the implementation. Could you give an example of one or two indicators um, or goals where Earth observation data is very relevant? Because obviously, you know, maybe people have seen uh, examples of, um, you know, Earth observation linked to a few SDG uh, metrics or goals, but it'd be good to get a sense of, you know, because you work on it, you know, on a daily basis yeah. on how your maps to SDGs. Yeah, so, you know, talking about this, we've done, uh, and by we, I mean about the international community, really, so a lot of organizations like the Group on Earth Observations, the Committee on Earth Observations, Satellites, and others within the UN and, and affiliated institutions have looked at that, right? And so we've mapped some of the the targets and the indicators to different uh, earth observations. And, and we've looked at some of these goals, including fresh water and sanitation, goal six, goal 11 on sustainable cities and human settlements, uh, 14 on life below water and, and 15 on life on land, are some of the ones that really, uh, among the ones that offer a lot of opportunities for earth observations to contribute. And so part of the reason for that is that many of the, the targets and indicators that have been developed as part of these goals really need, require information on land cover, land productivity, things like water extent or other aspects of water, water quality, water volume, air quality, 
um, above ground biomass. So things that really Earth observations can offer a lot of insights uh, about these things. And so um, we have a lot of examples of where um, Earth observations many times combined with also um, climate and ecological models have been already applied to help really um, both develop indicators, but also evaluate impacts of um, specific, of, of meeting some of these targets um, across sectors or regions. Uh, another key aspect has been monitoring change over time. So we have examples, for example, of where satellite imagery and insights derived from Earth observations can be used to assess how different types of water bodies are changing and the availability of water then for different activities like agriculture or drinking water or uh, water for different types of ecosystems. Uh, we've also looked uh, and have some examples of where Earth observations are applied to really assess changes in built-up area and look at how cities, urban environments, or different types of human settlements are changing, and then what that change means or how that change is happening in conjunction with changes in the surrounding climate and what that may mean for people living in those areas and for their access to different types of things. So there is really a lot of examples that we can bring and happy to to highlight some specific ones also in our discussion. Yeah, obviously, I think that would be great. I mean, can you talk about a case study or, you know, a country uh, that you worked with where, you know, the because people always talk about Earth observation data as a technology. And what I'm curious in understanding is how it has led to real impact. Uh, you know, the there's a huge gap between just, you know, collecting the data and processing it and, you know, that applying to create an impact for, you know, for people, um, you know, or for nature. So it would be good to get in a, you know, case study or an example from, you know, a country or a region that you worked with. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of examples come to mind. So one is uh, since kind of the quite early times of working on this, we collaborated with the Office of Statistics uh, and um, National Office of Statistics in Colombia, DANE. And so this uh, has been a very strong case of where the statistics office has actually uh, developed the capacity with uh, help both from other institutions within Colombia, like the Ministry of Environment, but also collaborations with international organizations and space agencies like NASA, ESA, to, um, to leverage um, information from uh, programs like the U.S. Landsat program and the European Copernicus programs to better calculate and classify impervious or built-up surfaces, green areas, and water in different uh, parts of, of uh, Colombia, so different urban areas. And so through that, they've been able to both track and really report on some of these indicators that look at land use efficiency or access to open public spaces. And then they've been able to leverage their other types of census and statistics information to disaggregate that by population category. So to better understand how different um, uh, categories of their population, depending on, you know, different age categories or, or gender or like other things, um, have how they have access to open 
green spaces in, in different cities. And so that has then helped inform um, investment approaches or specific decisions about uh, tackling areas perhaps more vulnerable to pollution with reduced access to green spaces or, again, tracking how cities are growing with respect to the population growth and being able to do that more regularly and also through the use of this data that is also transparent and, and in many cases can help address gaps where maybe the census is not able to provide information on specific remote locations. Um, another quick example that I can, I can mention has been, um, and so that's kind of like a very also strong collaboration. I think in most of these examples, you will see that the collaboration piece and really integrating stakeholders from both the decision and policy making, the more like uh, practicing and, and, and technical analyst side, and then some of the earth observation providers and, and, and technical experts side has been really beneficial. Um, and so one exa another example is uh, work done by the UN Development Program with uh, um, uh, some universities like University of Montana and other universities in the U.S. and then uh, government agencies from three countries in South America, Ecuador, Peru uh, and Colombia, where they've looked at leveraging a number of uh, earth observation and biological data to look at ecosystem structure changes, look at forests, not just from the perspective of how forests are changing in terms of their extent, but also from the quality and integrity of the forest, which is really something that speaks to how suitable forests are for habitat, uh, for, ha for different types of habitats. And so a lot of this work has been uh, leveraged to to also help forecast uh, changes and ecosystem responses to various changes uh, to climate, socioeconomic conditions, and also policy. No, 100%. It's, uh, it's definitely, these are things that people don't think about when they think about satellites and Earth observation in general. Uh, you know, it's great to get a perspective that, you know, impacts, like I mentioned, life uh, on Earth uh, and, you know, has real impact. Um, I was, I'm curious what are some of the challenges you have noticed? Uh, because obviously, you know, we are collecting a lot of data and, you know, obviously we are collecting more and more data, like more data than, you know, ever before. Um, so obviously that's great. But I'm wondering from an Earth observation point of view, what are some of the challenges? Is it that, you know, you don't find data sometimes or is it more in the processing of data and how you fuse the different types of data? What are some of the, you know, technical challenges um, when it comes to, you know, translating the data today? So definitely, I think some of the challenges you talked about are, you know, continuous challenges. And I think we've made progress. So in the past, we have had challenges in data access and usability, and we've been making great strides in addressing some of these challenges. But I think there is definitely a lot of more work that can be done in, in particular areas. So one thing that I think you mentioned was around really uh, standards and, and being able to compare and have consistency among EO data and methodologies. And so that, that's really something that has come up a lot through this work and, and really the need to define criteria or better criteria for quality standards and provide guidance as we're having more and more Earth observation data 
in derived products and methods, provide some guidance about the fit, what we call fit for purposefulness, right? So how fit for purpose this different data may be. So having really walking this uh, path from global data to kind of applying it really to address local challenges and within the local context, I think is very important and is something where we can be doing more. Another, another challenge has been capacity, and, and I think you, you mentioned that as well. And so really, um, and that's not just human capacity, right? It's, it's really um, at the institutional or organizational level, it's at the technological level, and then human uh, level as well. And so I think we, we have been doing more in, in that front as well, in terms of really focusing on applied research and, and, and really working in partnership to develop solutions that are appropriate and meet user needs and to build capacity and skills to use the data in a sustained way. But I think more coordination and capacity development activities uh, is really you know, a remaining challenge and, and there are some efforts to to address that, but I think that's kind of like a continuous issue. And then there may be a few other things like, um, you know, some some of it is really institutional barriers or kind of like differences in, in language and in the way people are thinking about data, about um, uh, quality standards, about the SDGs even. And so um, sometimes, you know, with this sustainable development goal work, we've seen uh, some challenges in coordinating across levels of government, so global, regional, national, subnational, and then across different sectors within the government, so statistics offices, ministries, um, and others. And so those have been some areas as well where I think, um, you know, we've had a few a few challenges. And the other, the other thing I'll mention, and I think I'll stop there, is really the need to, to consider this uh, um, integration and, and, and links or interlinks among the different sustainable development goals as part of these integrated management strategies across sectors. And so that has also been a challenge many times because it's really sometimes about competing for resources and for prioritization. And so it's also been difficult uh, to do. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I was curious to hear from you because obviously we've talked about SDGs and I'm guessing uh, people understand what the SDGs are and how Earth Observation has an impact on the SDGs. But fundamentally, do you think the SDGs are laid out in a way that that makes sense from a monitoring and implementation point of view? Because the reason that I'm asking is, you know, I've looked at the SDGs and, you know, I've looked at, let's say, I don't know, zero hunger and some of the indicators under zero hunger. And I've used that indicators to see, you know, what Earth Observation satellite can make sense for that indicator. Is that this type of sensor can, you know, this satellite apply that? Um, so there's a lot of, you know, reverse mapping that needs to happen. Uh, and it seems like, you know, if, if it was done from the very beginning about what data is available uh, and then, you know, making a goal based on available data 
and you know what data is coming up in the future it could have been easier to track you know that's just kind of something that i've been thinking about you know if it was done and you know why it was not done so i wanted to get your take on you know what you think about it it's very true aravind and so this is something we've seen right and and i think um a lot of the targets or indicators the way they've been formulated and that's partially you know stemming from how the SDGs came about and really the fact that they're a product of the um, international statistical community. And so the approach has been really very much derived from that community and, and, and so the metrics are reflective of that. And so in many cases, for example, climate action is another strong uh, goal that has related targets and indicators where we know Earth observations can greatly contribute, but the way indicators or targets are formulated today, they don't really allow for um, those opportunities. And so I think that uh, indeed, if this had been done from the beginning, it would have been much easier. And um, and so we have also been trying to really look for opportunities uh, to. Um, we have also been trying to look for opportunities uh, to recommend proxies or additional metrics that could use Earth observations and could better inform some of these goals like zero hunger, climate action. And so I think um, what we've done since the inception and adoption of the SDGs has been to really help bring together and closer the statistics and geospatial community. That wasn't the case, I think, when the SDGs were adopted. And so that you see that quite a bit reflected on the, uh, the indicator framework. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and obviously, you know, because I'm starting talking to a lot of startups in the earth observation sector and the private sector, and, you know, they try and map um, SDGs to, you know, what they're trying to do. And, you know, sometimes they start with an SDG and then they realize that, you know, it's very hard to, you know, go back and find an earth observation technology for mapping to an indicator. So they kind of then do their product and then see which SDG matches um, so that, you know, they can communicate it better. Uh, that was kind of the context. And that makes me wonder, so what, what do you think is the role of the private sector uh, when it comes to SDGs? Uh, do you do you engage with the private sector as well? Because obviously there are a number of constellations, um, you know, not only on the, on, the, on the satellite side, but also on the data processing and, and products available in the market today. There's a lot of, you know, in the involvement of the private sector. So I'm wondering from, from the SDG tracking and implementation, what's the role of the private sector? So, so we do think that, you know, the private sector has a big role to play here from uh, uh, kind of uh, adopting this framework as part of its own sustainability goals and targets to really helping advance sustainability uh, globally. And so, uh, a lot of uh, collaborations, both in terms of uh, data, but also, as you mentioned, in terms of analytics and infrastructure. And so we have examples of we, where we've we've worked uh, uh, jointly and developed applications or tools that leverage um, uh, platforms and infrastructure from uh, companies like Google or Esri or others. Um, and so that is also those companies have also been working with the UN and with individual countries to help um, provide a geospatially enabled framework for uh, overlaying some of these statistics and then um, uh, Earth observation or other types of geospatial data. 
And as mentioned, again, there are a lot of opportunities to further leverage the innovation and the agility that the private sector brings in terms of um, new um, satellite data observations uh, and so there is a lot uh, happening and, and forthcoming, for example, in the greenhouse gas monitoring uh, sector, right? That has relevance for climate and, and assessing and, and better helping with mitigation efforts on the climate uh, chain side, and of course, several links to different SDGs. I think so. I think public private partnerships are very important. Um, I think that. Um, um, NASA and many other space agencies through work with international organizations like the Group on Earth Observations have been advocating for um, openness of the data but also open source science and, and methodologies and so that's a critical point that I always like to highlight because sometimes working with the private sector can, can bring some of these challenges but you know challenges aside I think there is a strong recognition that we need to work uh, together. And it's, it's great to see that a lot of uh, different types of private sector entities are uh, quite active in, in the SDGs and the broader sustainability efforts. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, obviously the, the role of the private sector, I feel like it's, it's only going to increase as as there are more capabilities coming into the market. Um, I want to move on to um, talking about a book that you recently co-edited on this subject, correct? So it was a book, I think it was the title was Earth Observation Applications and Global Policy Frameworks, where you touched on, um, you know, or provided a lot of case studies on how knowledge about uh, earth science and earth observations contribute to sustainable development. Do you want to talk about, you know, what the book is about and, you know, who it's, uh, who's the internet audience? Absolutely. So, so this uh, was uh, so it, it came, it's uh, part of the American Geophysical Union (AGU). It published the book uh, in collaboration with Wiley, and um, it's it has been really a, an effort that leveraged uh, knowledge and expertise from like many many contributors and interagency and international partners. And as you mentioned, the book really focuses on Earth observation applications for a variety of uh, uh, global policies, including climate change and the Paris Climate Accord, disaster risk reduction, as well as the sustainable development goals. And, and so a lot of the things, and you'll see there are case studies or examples of international initiatives that are really focusing on um, applying Earth observation-based methods and, 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 and developing products or tools to better address a number of challenges and inform kind of the development of, of more risk-informed systems or, you know, there are some chapters that are focusing more on the technology side and different types of technological solutions like open data cubes, for example. Um, which is an effort to really streamline some of these uh, data management and distribution aspects to help lower the technical barriers so that more end users can, can have access to the data. And so the book is really intended for a very wide audience. So it was written in a way that it's, it's, it has some technical aspects to it, but it's not really aiming or it's not just addressing a technical audience it's really aiming to address the broader community uh, federal state municipal city uh, level governments as well as others in the um, uh, 
uh, in the private sector, for example, or uh, a non-profit sector that are really involved in sustainable development, climate mitigation and adaptation and disaster uh, management. And um, I think even like even basic and applied research scientists and GIS people have a lot to learn uh, from the book because uh, they can, you know, it does provide this breadth of examples of existing efforts of where earth science, research and applications are coming together uh, to address some of these global sustainability challenges. What's missing is also, you know, having been in the industry for you know, for the last few years, what I've realized is the last mile usually is not often, you know, a, a focus of interest, you know, someone's focusing on developing a new algorithm, you know, they, they do it, but then, you know, what happens to it? How can you then take it to, you know, create impact, you know, to, to the last mile? I think that's, that's been a miss, missing piece. But then if, you know, based on your, what you're saying about the book, it seems like there are a lot of examples that you've highlighted, which can help people see the big picture, because obviously, you know, we are sitting, everyone sits within our own bubble, but it's important to know, you know, obviously what's, what's happening, you know, in the, in the last mile and how it's creating um, impact. Uh, I wanted to ask, so if, you know, building on the same subject, how far are we, do you think, from the application of Earth observation for, you know, things like you, like you mentioned? Because I feel like the full potential of Earth observation has not been utilized so far, whether it's, you know, for tracking the Paris Agreement or, you know, for development, sustainable development policies by governments. I feel like it's not exploited fully. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on, you know, what, you know, how, how far it's being used today. Um, you know, maybe you can take an example and then, you know, talk about if you're actually exploiting the full potential. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, unfortunately. So I think that we've made a great progress and we have strong examples of where Earth observations are really helping to inform progress, to, to track and monitor progress on sustainability efforts or uh, to address big challenges like climate change. Uh, but I do think that there is more to be done to really connect uh, earth science uh, research to uh, policy, right? And so I think that a part of it has really been about a need to really shift focus, but also resources in in in, in really helping to um, uh, to focus more on this knowledge uh, aspect of all of this, so really not just getting the data, making the data more you know accessible and usable, but really producing knowledge that is policy ready and policy relevant, right? So um, and also it's timely. It's really in time scales that matter for decisions for like a city mayor or a governor that is really interested in, in understanding, you know, what are they looking for in terms of how many extreme heat days they, you know, their communities may be facing in um, the next year or five years or 10 years down the road and making really decisions in that time scale. So I think that there is a need to really focus on this uh, paradigm shift and really more understanding more and, and, and uh, delivering more on that knowledge uh, side of, of uh, the if you can think of like a pathway or a spectrum where you have kind of like going from data to information to knowledge to really uh, informing policy. 
and action. And and you know one thing I'll mention uh, also is that so you know we have a lot of advances in as you mentioned we have a, a petabytes of of earth observation data we have. The technology is there that really, if we, if we focus more also on this integration of science and technology, making the data and the tools both easy to find and use through um, leveraging data infrastructures and integration of science, uh, and again, doing that through uh, open science principles to make sure this is accessible and reachable by, by everyone. Uh, I think that's that's really what's needed, and I think we are moving toward toward that. So hopefully, we'll have even even more uh, progress and successes ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe you do a you know another version or a revised edition of the book with more success stories in a few years' time. Um, I'll, I'll link the book in the show notes. Um, I want to move on to talking about the state of Earth observation quickly. So. What are your general thoughts on the state of Earth observation today? Because, you know, um, you know, since you entered the industry, obviously, I'm sure a lot has changed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of commercial initiatives. And, you know, of course, um, uh, public missions from space agencies are continuing and we're collecting, like you mentioned, petabytes of data. So what are, what are your thoughts on the state of Earth observation today in general? I do think it's a, it's an exciting time. I think, you know, uh, on on... As you mentioned, we have all these uh, new and, and forthcoming missions, both on the public sector side and the private sector side. So I think we are already becoming more and more equipped with the ability to uh, to monitor and, and, and really understand our, again, planet as an integrated system. Um, and so I think that's, that's fantastic. I think, you know, on NASA side, there are a number of missions that are coming up, like TEMPO, um, SWAT, PACE, uh, NISAR, that are really going to help answer a number of challenges and improve our understanding on aspects of air pollution, looking at aspects of the water cycle and better understanding aspects of the ocean that contribute to climate change processes, uh, and also things like advancing assessment of ocean health, um, being able to better understand and, and, and prepare for floods and, and similar uh, disasters. And so I think that's really exciting. The other thing that I think is uh, important to mention, to mention is that um, NASA is also developing the Earth System Observatory. And so this is really composed of five satellite missions that build on the program of record and really aim again to provide critical data on a number of key priority areas like climate change, weather, severe weather, not uh, different types of hazards, wildfires, and also global food production. And so I think it's it's really I'm highlighting this because the aim of this is really to help continue to develop this holistic three dimensional. Uh, view of Earth to better understand how the different components of our planet are working together and improve our ability to really um, understand and also forecast uh, changes uh, looking ahead. And so I think it's it's an exciting time. I think, again, what we talked about is the need to have more integration of these different types of data sources along with the foundational aspects of research to be able to to really make sense of all of this data and to be able to really make it 
used and, 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 and uh, leveraged by the people that made it the most. Makes sense. Yeah. And following up on that, I wanted to ask, what are we not talking about enough in, uh, in our sector? Um, I, I hear, I mean, I heard you talk about open science a lot, and I personally don't think the importance and the value of that is not talked about a lot, but I don't want to throw answers into your, uh, in, in, you know, I don't want to suggest answers, but, you know, what, what are we not talking about enough, in your opinion? You know, a few things come to mind, right? So, um, and I'm not sure if we're not talking about it enough, but maybe we need to do more about it. It's really accelerating this uh, benefits from, from earth science, right? And I think we, we probably do talk about it enough, but I'm not sure if we talk about it enough in all the appropriate circles. So really helping make that clear and, 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 and you know, justify it to um, decision makers and to people who, who have kind of like the, uh, the ability to, to make an impact. Uh, and help improve that. So I think accelerating these benefits from the earth science and, and, and really earth-enabled solutions to both, you know, expedite and, and kind of um, uh, quicken the use of the data and also to, to help uh, uh, further advance uh, and, and stimulate new, you know, opportunities for using the data to address uh, emerging challenges so that's that's one and you know we talked about open science I think uh, uh, that's very important again in within the context of leaving no one behind that is a key principle of the 2030 agenda but then also within the context of really um, leveraging the collective talent and, and knowledge and insights of uh, uh, local communities, indigenous communities, um, the private sector, non-government, government, um, civil society to really bring that, you know, power of, of uh, understanding what are the needs and then ma matching those needs to uh, existing or capabilities that need to be developed. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, moving to a few wrap-up questions, I wanted to ask, is there anything that worries you about the state of the industry today in terms of, you know, where we are and where we're going? And or in other words, you know, what can we do better, you know, not to ask it in a pessimistic way? You know, I think, I, I mean, I, I tend to be quite optimistic. So I'll say, I mean, you know, we do have some existing challenges. So I've seen some advances in my time working in, in this field. And so I'd like to continue to see that. I'd be worried if I saw us staying stagnant and, and not seeing those advances. Um, I, do, I do think that continuing to really focus on um, delivering products that are needed by users and, and doing it in a way that, again, is integrating and, and uh, inclusive, um, transparent and open are key things that I think we need to continue to talk about and really hold ourselves accountable to those things. Uh, making sure that we develop the metrics, the uh, you know ways to really track how we're doing with respect to those things and, and have a course correction if we're not meeting what we're you know preaching or what we're hoping to do. Um, again, I see a lot of possibilities and, and I think we should remain hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you mentioned the uh, inclusiveness, and I, I know that you, you know, are interested in the subject and passionate about it. So I want to you to talk about, you know, what's the state of diversity today, and you know, how can we imp improve uh, 
at least in, within our sector, because obviously, you know, if you're engaged in work that is global inherently, uh, you know, not being inclusive and diverse just wouldn't work because, you know, you wouldn't have the impact. So what, what's the state of, um, you know, diversity today? And obviously, I think we have seen some, some improvement over time. But, you know, talk about that and then we can end. So, so I definitely think we, you know, we can do so much more. I don't think we are where we, you know, need to be. I think we have seen improvements. And, you know, I even through the time that, you know, I was in college, undergrad, and now I've seen uh, great improvements in, in diversity, at least in some aspects of diversity, right? Um, and I think that we need to do much more to really make sure that we're leveraging our youth and, and kind of connecting uh, through programs, mentorship, internship programs, programs that really focus on engaging people of all backgrounds and interests and, and enable many times uh, these multidisciplinary uh, projects and connections. So I think that's an area where we are starting to do more and, and more needs to take place. I think we also need to be doing more when you know, designing uh, programs, initiatives, thinking about these aspects all the way from, um, you know, um, hiring and retaining and promoting staff to thinking about it on how we're engaging people that are already part of an organization and then how we're partnering. So how we're partnering and, and that goes, you know, both on the private sector, thinking small, medium, large, on different types of government thinking, you know, from federal level down to, to you know, local level and, and, and tribal governments. And and then from, um, from really, again, I think, making sure that the data, the methods, the, you know, the code, everything that we're um, uh, developing is, is shared in a way that is accessible uh, to all. Uh, thinking about these aspects, you know, in the international world, we're thinking a lot about making things available in people's language, in a person's language, in, in, and we're not successful, right, all the time. So we need to do more, we need more resources toward those areas as well. Uh, but, you know, these are just some aspects of diversity where, you know, we can be doing more. But as you can tell, it's really hard to even point to all these aspects just in you know in chatting about it so i think we need really dedicated efforts and and initiatives as well as metrics that help us make this an integral part of all of our work yeah 100 percent. i think i really connect to the languages bit um because i've i've seen you know even examples of um you know, people asking me whether it's the work that I've written and published, if it's available, you know, in a language that they can access. And you know, I've never thought about it or, you know, somebody takes up that effort to actually translate it. And then I realize, oh, you know, I thought it was actually useful. But then I, I did not, you know, think about the fact that, um, you know, it's not really accessible for everyone. But yeah, good point. Um, cool. I think we've come to the end. Uh, anything else you want to add? I think we touched on a lot of subjects. Uh, but if there's anything to add. Uh, no, I just want to thank you very much for, for the opportunity and, and the time. It's been a great pleasure chatting with you. Brilliant. Thanks, Sergey. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Terraward Space podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, TerraWatch on Substack. That is terrawatch.substack.com, where I attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. 
Thanks again and hope to see you for the next episode.